Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. From What Goes On Media, this is Backstage With, taking you behind the scenes with your favourite actors and creatives in the world of musical theatre. I'm Mikey Worrell. Today we're going backstage with Marisha Wallace, who's playing Effie White in Dreamgirls in the West End. Marisha's been playing this role on and off since she was 21 years old. I first saw her play it last year when she was the standby for Amber Riley. Anyone who's seen her in the show knows she is a force of nature on that stage. I went to meet her at the Savoy Theatre and we had a chat in her dressing room which is hidden away in what feels like the bottom of the theatre. There are lots of really narrow corridors and steep old staircases. It was a bit of a maze so I had no idea where we were in proximity to the stage or the auditorium. Here's our conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Marisha Thank Wallace. You. Effie Hello. White on the West End. <laughs> I saw the show last year with you and I just was blown away. I mean, as I'm sure everyone is who comes to see you. It's pretty crazy. Are you People are fun? really going on a roller coaster ride with me. It's yeah. it's great. I am having fun. I'm having so much fun. This show is one of the hardest shows I've ever done in my life and I've been doing this for about 10 years. You've done loads of shows in America, some mm-hmm. shows on Broadway. In your experience, what are the biggest differences between performing on Broadway and performing in the West End? To me, they're really isn't that much difference. It's still like a show is a show is a show to me. But I do feel like the Western audiences appreciate this show a lot because they don't get shows like this or they don't you don't have a lot of shows that come like this or they don't get to hear singing like this. So they're very appreciative. They're like, what is this feeling? I never felt this before. But like back home, like when you sing like this, people have heard other people sing like that for forever and ever. So it's not like it's a big deal. So it's kind of nice to introduce even new generations to this piece and also older generations who like Motown and like pop music, R&B, soul music. It's kind of great for them to go on that ride and they appreciate it so much. So I think that's what the difference would be. Have you been able to explore London a lot since you got here? I have. Um, I live in Trafalgar Square. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. <laughs> so I've seen every protest, every rally, every parade, every event. So it's, it's really cool living there. But I've been all around, like, my favorite places are Camden, I love Notting Hill, I love Shoreditch, like, I love all the cool, quirky little places. It's kind of like New York, but it's cuter. Really? <laughs> like a cute version of New York. What's your favorite thing that you've discovered since you got here, be it, like, a food thing or a oh, place? I'm a, such a foodie. Okay. So I'm, like, a huge foodie. But my favorite food market is Camden Market, for sure. The Curb Market. That's, like, my favorite. There's a beef bourguignon burger place. That sounds I think amazing. it's called like patate. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but I just go there. I'm going to have time. to get the address off it's, you. I know, it's so good. I love it there. And then also Duck and Waffle is like my jam. I love that place. You've done Dreamgirls twice before you came to London. Yeah. How has your Effie changed since you first did it? Oh my God. The first time I did it, I was 21 and I did it right out of college. It was a short little run. So it was kind of like just diving into the deep end. And... I was like, you know, if I can do this, I think I could do anything after that. I just feel like my Effie now is definitely more grounded. She's more, 
I don't know, refined, <laughs> as refined as Effie can be. But I've just taken everything that I've learned over the years from watching the greats that I've watched. Like I've worked with Brian Darcy James and Heidi Blinkenstaff and Christian Borle. And like, I just love watching and just see how they carry a show and how they just stand and deliver. And I feel like when you're young, you feel like you have to be so over the top. Like you have to sing the loudest and belt the highest. And da, da, da. But it's good to know that you can just be still and be still powerful. So that's what I've learned. When you came here, you were the standby for Amber Riley. How yeah. was that experience different? Was it what you expected? Was it harder or did it make you um, rest just, more? Oh my God, it was just, no, because we I was always, I was on it a lot. <laughs> and I just had to hit the ground running because I came in uh, like opening night and I was learning the show the day of opening night, like learning it to get ready to, to be on. Because at that time, they needed someone to be ready, like, immediately. So I learned the show in about five days because it was around Christmas time. So there was not much time to rehearse. They had just opened. Things were all up in the air. Like, it was just a crazy time. And so I just had to, like, fit my little time in and be like, oh, can I learn this or can I learn that? Yeah. And then I think it was actually harder last year because there were weeks that I would do eight shows. There were weeks that I would do two shows. There were weeks I would do five, four, three, two. Like, so it was just not consistent, which was hard for me because I've always done eight shows a week I've never been a standby or a swing so it was just so hard to have the routine you needed that routine yeah so because like some days you would do the show and you'd be like oh yeah and then the next day you'd be like oh god I'm out of shape again like how does it how does that work but now because there is a lot of routine and I'm doing it five times a week it's just it's so much easier because I can just do my thing. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find it hard to cope with that anxiety of, oh God, am I going to be on? What am I next going to be on? Oh yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm a pretty strong person though. Like I just knew this was a big opportunity and I was like, if I can just get through this part of it, that there's going to be a great reward on the other side. So I just kind of like put, you know, bared down and was like, okay, I'm just going to roll with the punches and this is what I wanted. This is what I prayed for. I prayed for this. So I was like, I prayed for this. So I might as well just, you know, enjoy it and try to just you know do what I gotta do how did you cope with that late notice oh god Mm -hmm. I've got to go on the quickest turnaround time that I had was probably 20 minutes oh my goodness isn't that crazy so would 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 Amber have been here and been like oh god I think it was like a situation where the other standby couldn't go on oh right okay like she got sick last minute and then I had to just step in just step in and do it the role is so hard like people don't realize this is one of the biggest hardest roles in musical theater period totally it's up there with mama rose and evita and all the male ones all the male ones and it's the king lear like it, it is and people think it's just singing but it's not just singing it's also you got casey nicola choreography on top of it you also have all the acting and the emotion and you have to be able to go in and out of it. So it was just like a thing that we were all just trying to get through it together and it was just like the strongest survives. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> really. You said you came in after opening night. How come you came into the show late? Was that a scheduling thing or? No, I came into the show late because they kind of underestimated the role of Effie and they needed more help. They thought they were secure, but sickness came and it was winter time and like everyone was getting sick like all over the west end like i think a couple of shows that like cancel shows yeah until that cancel shows like because there was a sickness going around and there was just not enough coverage so they were like well marisha knows the show i had just did it in dallas 
And originally, I was going to be a part of the show from the beginning, but I didn't do it because they, because of visa stuff and and money. It's hard to bring someone from America to London. They really have to like put their neck out yeah. to do it. So this was like an emergency. And they were like, get over here now. We need oh, wow. you. Just need more help, you know, just to secure the show, make sure that it was, because it was opening time. The show was so vulnerable at that time. So you got a little extra security to be like, oh, we're going to be fine. So And we were, so we're still here. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes the, the best experiences are the ones that you don't expect. Oh, yeah. And I feel like I've been ready for, the, I was getting ready for this, like, my whole life. Dream Girls and these songs have, like, always been the thing that have propelled me to the next thing. Like, I want a competition singing this song that propelled me to do something else, and then this, and then this. So I just feel like you just have to be ready. Always be ready, because everyone wants to be a star, but are you ready for the hard work? That's kind of like, are you ready to be a star? Do you want to, like, you have to be quiet. You have to do your workouts. You got to train. You got to do this. You got to do that. It's a lot of work that goes into it. It's not just glitz and glamour. But if you want it, you have to work for it. You really do. You mentioned Casey Nicola. You've worked with him on, like, four other shows, I was reading. Yeah, yeah. You must have your working relationship with him down yeah. to T now. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why he called me. He was like, oh, come, we need you to do this, we need you to be here. I was like, great. I get here, and I was like, oh, so you're going to put me in the show? He's like, no, I'm leaving. <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, that's why I called you, because I know you could do it. Like, I know you could just put it, just do it. And he was right. So he's like, I know that I can trust you to go and kill it and... And you did, and and, it, and I did, and we've been working together for five years, so that's a lot for someone to trust their leading role to someone that, you know, I never even had auditioned. I think I had auditioned for some of the team on a tape, but none of them had met me personally. So it was good to have someone that, you know, trust you enough and believe in you enough to give you this opportunity. So that's why, that was another reason why I worked so hard, because I was like, I have to, you know, mm-hmm. prove that he picked the right person. <laughs> what was it like working with him the first time you worked with him? Like, How did you develop yeah. that trust? We did Book of Mormon together first, and I auditioned, I went to open call for it, and I got down to the very end, and that was when I got to meet Casey. And we did a lot of rounds together. And just from the jump, we just clicked. We just kind of had the same humor. We got along. Like, he liked what I did. Like, he just got me. He just got what I what I bring to the table. We just got along, and then we went out of town to Denver to put up the national tour. And in Denver, we, like, became closer and closer, just, like, putting up the show. And I always made everyone laugh from rehearsals. And that's the other thing people don't understand, like, it's not just about the audition and the talent that you have. You have to hang out with these people for 14 hours a day. Nobody wants to hang out with somebody who's not nice. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's you know it's a I job mean? interview as well, isn't it? It totally is. If you can be around people for 14 hours and they want you in the room and they're excited for you to be there and you're a light, not like, you know, a dark cloud, why wouldn't you want to keep hiring them? So yeah. that's the other thing that I feel like people don't understand is that you need to be someone that people want to have around as well so that's what really has propelled my career is that I tried to bring a lightness and a joy and positivity to everything that I do and to the places that I am so that you know that they want to have me back because you know I don't want to be in a dark place either so (laughs) it's kind of nice to to have cultivated that relationship with them. The the original show that was mounted on Broadway however many decades ago is slightly different to the one we have here in London. Yes. A lot of the changes came after the film. Mm -hmm. Was the film the catalyst for those changes, do you think? Or was it due a rework? It was a bit of rework and then it was a bit of the film. I In Dallas, I did the original the way it was done before. 
And then I got here and most of Act 2 has changed, but the changes are good. Casey's all about propelling the story and getting us to the next moment as quickly as possible. And that was not happening in Act 2. Act 1 is so well constructed, but Act 2, they kind of needed a little bit more work to get us there. And then people love Listen, so we had to put that in there some way. But the way they've reconstructed Listen... I like it so much better. Because when I first came, they were like, we're doing Listen. I was like, oh, God, we're doing Listen. Okay. Did you not like that song? No, I mean, I like that song as that song. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I had liked it in the show. Yeah. So I was like, it just sounds like it's from a different time period. Yeah. So the way that they reconstructed the song and made it like a duet, like a standard like musical theater, it reminds me of um, Sideshow, I Will Never Leave You. Yes. And that's like a musical theater moment. So they turned it into a musical theater moment. And I was like, okay, now I'm on board with this. And it got me. I was crying. I was like, why am I crying? <laughs> I was like, oh, it's good. Because just the way they reconstructed it, it works. It stops the show now, basically. Now it's a showstopper. I can't even think what would be in that moment before Exactly. And there was no song like that in Act 2 before. Were there any big changes to Effie's journey or to the arc of the plot? Yes, I feel like before it was more about Effie emancipating herself from Curtis. But now I feel like it's more about Effie and Dina rekindling their friendship and coming back together like sisterhood and women's empowerment and I think that's great I think that definitely makes the jump to 2018 do you know what I mean because it's like it's not about it's all about the man now it's like okay I got rid of that man and now I'm gonna mend the relationships with the women that I want to have in my life that's progressive and I think that is what makes the story so powerful. Because especially, that's what makes Listen so powerful. Because they're like, oh my God, they became friends again. And aside from Listen, obviously the other massive moment is, and I'm telling you, when I came, and I'm sure it happens most nights, there was a mid-show standing ovation. A, how do you carry on through that without going, (laughs) oh my God? And B, how do you prepare for that number? You can't prepare (laughs) for that number. You know what's hard, though, is when they ask you to sing it out of context. I think it's so much easier to sing it once you've done the whole... When you're in the moment. Yeah, when you're in the moment, you've done the whole journey of it, and then you do the song. I will say it was a learning curve for me because I did it in a different key, a lower key, before, because there's two keys. Jennifer Holliday used to have a matinee key and a nighttime (laughs) key. Oh my God, I didn't know that. Isn't that crazy? And then there's like a soundtrack Mm. key, which is a higher key. And then they have the movie key, which is a higher key. And then she had... But there's a low key and a higher key. So it's like a half step lower. But it's just completely different. Because the higher key is like more exciting. and But it's high. <laughs> it's very high. So I had to learn how to navigate through that. And Amber had already been singing it in the high key. So what was I going to say? I got to sing in the low key. So I had to learn how to sing it in the high key. So once I got that, it was just like pacing. Here is one then two, then three. Then this part, we get a little more, and then we get a little more. But you can't blow your wad before you get to a certain part. But there's a middle section where it's like, okay, I could go full throttle, but I have to pull back. So you just kind of have to know the navigation of the part. But I love doing it. And they were like, how do you not cry? I was like, because I am on the verge of tears each night. Because if I actually cried, I wouldn't be able to sing. Yeah. But then the audience cries for me, which is what, you know, we're supposed to do. I let the audience cry. (laughs) The first time you did it in London, was that a big breakthrough moment for you? Yes. It was like all my dreams had come true and everything that has happened to me, like everything that I've gone through, 
every no that I've ever gotten, every opportunity I've ever gotten brought me to that moment, to that standing ovation. What a moment. That I'm like about to cry right now. Uh, I'm talking me about too. You're setting me up. <laughs> <laughs> this business is so hard. People don't understand. People have no idea that like the sacrifices we make like we miss everything. We don't get to go to birthdays. We don't get to go to funerals. We don't get to like we don't get to do the things that, and spend time with our families. We sacrifice all that just so we can do what we love to do. And then when you have a moment like that, you're like, oh god, it was all worth it. Like it was worth it. Like everything that I went through it was worth it. And oh god, I didn't expect to cry on this podcast. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I won't tell anyone. Oh god. It's fine. But yeah, that moment was just like, wow, your dreams can come true. And like hard work does pay off. And like the good people do win. Like they, they win. Like you can win. Because I, sometimes I feel like in this business, you feel like the people who aren't nice and the people who aren't don't work as hard. They get things. And you're like, how is that possible? But then the good people do win. We do win. And then when we do win, we win big. So yeah. it's And good. that's the moment that you see in films and on TV shows. Yeah. And you think, God, I want that moment where I show yeah. everyone who's boss. Yeah. And that so rarely happens in real life. It but doesn't. you get that moment. It happens. And I'm like, man, I hope I can inspire other people to keep working. Because if you work hard, it will come. It might take a long time, but it will get there. And is that your favorite moment in the show? It is. My other favorite moment is I'm changing. Because I, you I feel I love I'm changing. I love when I do that dress reveal. Yeah. And then that whole song though is like my life. Like it's like <laughs> the story of my life. Like I wasn't like a raging crazy woman like Effie, but just like changing from being like a person who believed in herself but wasn't like, oh, okay, I could do this. Okay. And then I was like, oh, I can really do this. Oh, I'm doing well. And then to being like a full-fledged like leading lady, I'm like, wow, this is everything I wanted. And I tried to, you know, prove and prove and I feel like I've been proving myself for so long. And then to just prove it, that moment is just, that is it. I'm changing. Here I am. I'm in the dress. Here's the people. They're all screaming. It's like... (laughs) So I love I'm changing. That moment is the best. So many of these big moments just get everyone screaming on oh, their feet. Oh, they it's... love it because they've been on the ride too. Because yeah. they've seen you like go from like being a little kid to going through all that and then making it. But I don't think there's another show in town that gets that reaction no, like you do here. You don't. So it's wonderful. But it's such a big thing. Yeah. How do you warm up for it? How do you protect your voice? Well, the biggest things. Here's my big things. Sleep water technique so i try to get as much sleep as i can so people are like you got up at what time i'm like i have to do the show <laughs> so no matter how what how late i go to bed i still try to get at least seven to eight hours of sleep and then water i drink it two liters of water before every show no matter that's the minimum and then during the show i probably drink another two liters of water and then I've been working with Mark Malin who's a voice coach here and he really transformed how I sing this role just from the techniques that he's given me and the exercises and stuff that's really important because everyone is like oh I have a great voice but you can sing very beautifully wrong and that's the issue so you have to really make sure that what you're doing and you're doing it healthfully because we growl a lot in this and we sing really high we have to do it every day but thank god that I kind of have genetically have cords of steel which is is good but you know there's days where I'm like like right before I left, I was like, okay, what's going on? You know, she just gets tired or she's just like, okay, I don't want to 
mm-hmm. beat in that way. <laughs> I want to hit a different part. So sometimes I had to change up how I sang it a little bit just to take a little pressure off the parts of your voice that you use the same way every single day, which is crazy. We've all heard the recording of Patti LuPone stopping the show at Gypsy when yeah. someone was taking photos. I feel like whenever I go to a show, I see phones everywhere nowadays everywhere. and it's really annoying have you noticed a deterioration in audience behavior in, in terms of phones or that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. During I'm Changing the other day, someone literally flashed a full flash. They're not even ashamed. Not even hiding it. They're just like, just a full flash. That must be so hard to not stop it, it and go, you. And, you know, I just kind of give them like a look like I can see you. <laughs> I think they think it's like a television or something. I'm like, you know, we can see you, right? We can see really far back too, especially in this show. I don't know. I feel like because phones are so... I mean, I'm on my phone all the time, too. Uh, Aren't we all? That's why I like coming to the theater, because I can just turn it off for two and a half hours and then then get back on that later. But, yeah, it's kind of like a part of it now, which is very sad, because people can't even, like, turn off their phones for two hours and just be in this moment together. So I do hope that there's a way that they'll be able to stop. I know, I feel like someone needs to come up with something. I feel like there should be like a force field that you can like knock them out. But people have to have kids and stuff. You never know, there are emergencies. But I feel like there was a time when that phone call would have come and you would have left, but you didn't need to scroll through Instagram all the way through. I know, that's terrible. And then they're so bright, the light. I'm like, at least turn the light down. Have some courtesy. Have some courtesy. Do nighttime mode. <laughs> the other thing I want to talk to you about, playbills obviously a big thing on Broadway. Yeah. Like people collect them and everything. Mm-hmm. And they're such a huge thing. And the biggest thing is you get to see who you are seeing. Yes. And here we don't have that. Unless it's you're going to pay eight, ten pounds for a program. Oh. You don't know. It's the worst. Was that and alien it, to you coming over here? Oh, it was terrible because like that's why I use social media. And so every time I was on, I would post because... You want to give people credit for the work that they do. If Amber is on, I don't want you to think that I did that show. Or if I'm on, I don't want you to think, you know what I'm saying? People need to get credit for the show, for for their work. I don't understand why they don't. I know it's expensive and they make a lot of money off playbills, but I actually want to make an app for like, like at this performance. Oh, that's such a good idea. Get the PDF version of it or whatever. And then you put ads in it. Great. I'm surprised no one's done that. Coupons? You yeah. do all kinds of stuff. In oh, you have to make this happen. I know. I need a, I need an app developer. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone? App developer? Did you grow up going to Broadway shows and stuff? Where were you raised? How? No, I was raised in North Carolina in a really, really small rural town. There's like cows and pigs and farms. And I grew up singing in church. So everybody sang gospel music in church. Everyone in my family sings or plays an instrument. And then when I was in high school, my music teacher, she was very hands-on and she was like, I think that you have something more than just the regular kids. <laughs> so What's going on out there? I don't know. Is a warm-up going on probably? Or maybe. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, my high school teacher said, I think that you might want to like, you know, study this and take it to the next level. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll I'll see what happens. So then I did show choir, which was kind of like my introduction to it. But we would do like Destiny's Child and like we would do some Broadway tunes as well. It was awesome. It was like Glee. Like it was like the real live Glee. So we did that. And then she took me to see Aida on tour in North Carolina. And that was my first show that I saw, my first Broadway show. How old were you then? 
17? And was that an epiphany? An epiphany. First off, you got a black woman leading the show. Also, what a first perfect show that was like, okay, she's leading the show. They're lifting her up. She's the center of the narrative. She's not like a sidekick or a thing. And I was like, I have to do that. That's what I have to do with my life. And so I decided to go to college for it, but I had a bad turn because I went to audition and I was going to do education and performance, but you have to audition for the music program, but everyone has to do opera, which is crazy. Oh my God. I'm like, why? Because they all start with like a classical bass, which I think is a good thing, but I mean, everybody can't sing an aria for your first audition, but I had to learn aria. I'd learned the aria. I did it. And then they were like, oh, we feel like something's wrong with your voice. We're not going to be able to accept you. And literally, as I was walking out, it was like a movie. I was walking up the auditorium, you know, thing, the ramp. And one of the professors runs behind me and was like, no, I think you have something. Come have a voice lesson with me. Okay. You know, I was so sad because they told me I wasn't going to do it. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll just, you know, see what happens. So then my my teacher took me back and I did the, the lesson with him. And he was like, okay. I think you might need to go to a speech pathologist. So then I went to a speech pathologist. And then the speech pathologist did all her tests. And then I went to an ENT. And then I found out I had a cyst on my vocal cords. And I was 18 years old. I was so sad. Like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I had to get surgery. (laughs) I had to get surgery on my vocal cords. I couldn't speak for three months. Three months. Three months I couldn't speak. Um, I had to quit my job. It was the craziest time of my life. I thought I wasn't supposed to ever sing again. So this like was the surgery was like, okay, maybe you'll be good, maybe you won't. We'll see. And then I did the surgery and then I was I'm a big faith person, I believe. I'm very spiritual and I like to pray and my whole congregation of my church, they prayed for me the night before the surgery. So then I go into the surgery and then I wake up the next couple hours and my mom is like looking at me, she's crying and I was like Oh, God, I lost my voice. Like, what? Something happened. And she was like, no, the doctor went in, and um, he tried to take out the cyst, and it was gone. So he's like, I just removed the scar tissue, and that was it. And he just had scoped me before, the day before, and it was gone. Wow. The next day. So there's a lot of, like, freaky divine things that have been happening, but I just know that it's because this is my destiny to do this. So now when I sing, it's like a totally different thing because I know I wasn't supposed to be singing. And that's why you feel what I feel because I'm like, this is not a normal. <laughs> it's, not, it's not normal. That's why it feels like out of this world when you kind of see the show, I think. We're into the final months of Dreamgirls yeah. in the West End. How will you look back on this experience? This will definitely be a mile marker in my career because I do feel like my career will be long and vast and this will be the moment where everything changed and I will always remember this time and the people that I met and London is just like a new home for me now and I hopefully will be able to do other shows here and I've made so many friends and I've made so many good colleagues that I've worked with and just done things that I've never thought I would ever do before. And to be a part of this show, after I've dreamed about being a part of this show since I was a kid, to do it and to lead it, it's like, whoa, what else can you manifest if you say, this is what I'm going to do? So it's definitely going to be one of those things that 
I can't even think about the closing because I'm going to be a mess. <laughs> I'm going to be crying and I'm a mess. So like, I was like, how am I going to sing any of these songs? Well, I was about to say, excuse the use of a song title, but will it be hard to say goodbye? Oh, that's going to be the worst song to listen to. <laughs> I was like, no. Yeah, it's going to be hard to say goodbye to this, but hopefully it has another life. And I just hope that I'm still a part of it, you know, going forward because talking about Broadway and they're talking about tours and all that stuff but if not I definitely got what I needed from this this role and this experience has been just fantastic so come get your tickets and go see Dreamgirls for sure would you would you like to do it at home yes I would love to do it on Broadway that would be the final chapter of it and I could do it and that would just be like Effie out (laughs) and then obviously win the Tony Win the Tony, for sure. And then... There's your closure. You heard it first, here. <laughs> Do you have plans for when the show closes? I don't. I'm going to go on a long vacation. That's my one plan. I'm going to go at least for a month just to... I was thinking about South Africa or Bali. We'll see. But I'm kind of waiting on some things to see. Like, as soon as I book a holiday, I book a job. It's just like hand in hand. <laughs> Anytime I book any, like, I'm like, I just press the button and the next day they'll be like, okay, so this day you're going here. Oh, okay, great. Then I have to cancel everything and I lose all my money. That's how it always works. (laughs) So I've been trying to wait a little bit and then I'm going to book it. Yeah, Yeah, Sod's Law. Sod's Law? Have you ever heard that? No. Sod's Law. What's that? It's like um, the irony of like you book a holiday and then you that book a job. then you book a job. It's like, oh, it's Sod's Law. Sod's Law. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard Google. of that. I just said it and then I went, oh, you're not going to have any idea what that like, means. Sod's Law. What other roles are on your to do list? Oh, wow. You know, this is hard because I don't feel like there are many other roles that are out there for me. So I feel like an original role would be like what I want to do next. I want to originate a funny dancery, belty, like all the things that I'm really good at. I just want to create a role. Another Effie, but in, for 2018. Mm-hmm. Just like something new and fun and exciting. And and I love creating new shows because that's what I always did before. So this is my first time doing a revival ever. So that was, that's was that been interesting to like step in someone else's shoes. But now I want to create the shoes. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Are there any people... In the West End or on Broadway, that you dream of playing opposite? Oh. Men or women? I think Rachel Tucker and I could do an amazing show together. Wouldn't that be fun? That'd be amazing. I think that would be Please do it here. I know. <laughs> we could have a sister show. That'd be lovely. <laughs> love her. or And then a guy, maybe. Oh, I would love to play opposite Brian Darcy James again, because he was just incredible. Everyone always says him. He's, Even if when you listen to like the Broadway podcast, they're yeah. all like, oh, Brian Darcy James. He's just, just the most giving person on stage. When I worked with him, I didn't feel like I was the understudy. I felt we were on par. He's so giving. He doesn't treat you any differently. He's always listening. He's in the moment. He's incredible. He's so sweet. He left me a note when he came because he couldn't come see the show, but he left me a note at the stage door. Oh. He's like, I hear you're killing him. I'm so proud of you. See what kind of person he is. The best. Thank you so much for oh, talking to me. You're welcome. Thank I've you. I've had so much fun. Even when we cried. <laughs> we cried. We laughed. <laughs> <laughs> we did all the things. Oh, oh no. God. It's been wonderful. It's so lovely to meet you. Oh, nice to meet Thank you. you. Thank you. You've got until just after Christmas to see Marisha in Dreamgirls. The show's closing at the Savoy on the 12th of January. To make sure you don't miss the next episode, just click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can tweet me at backstage underscore with, 
or find me on Facebook. Just search for Backstage With. Before we go, here's a quick preview of a new podcast you might like that's available soon. Thanks for listening. this this word for how I felt until it's actually on social media um, and I saw someone else like hang on this is like how I'm feeling and you sort of realise there's a word for it but it was still something that I just denied for ages so I was like it will change too much kind of thing If I know that you're gay and you're still in the Air Force and I'm in the Air Force I would have to report you and that's your own brother I'm telling you that that did hurt that, that, that did and I remember being so terrified about how she was going to react that I put my hands over my face because I didn't want to see I didn't want to see what her instant reaction was. Hi, I'm Emma Goswell, and I came out as gay in 1989 when I was 18. Since then, I've probably come out hundreds of times because it's not something you find yourself doing just once. No, if you're lucky enough to be lesbian, gay, bisexual or trans, questioning, queer or intersex, you could find yourself coming out every time you get a new job, join a new group or make a new friend. It's fucking irritating, to be honest. Straight people don't have to do it unless they're setting up a dating profile. And pretty much everyone will assume they're straight. But it's the one thing that really unites the LGBT plus community. At some point, we've all had to announce our sexuality or our gender identity. Why? Well, I'm still trying to figure that out, to be honest. I guess we tell our parents because we crave their unconditional love. We tell our friends because we want them to understand us and love us for who we really are. And we tell the people we're attracted to because... Well, because we want a shag. Whatever the reason, the thing about coming out is there aren't any rules. But you should only do it when you're ready and make sure you do it on your terms. For some people, it's when they're children and still at school. Others could be in their 70s or even 80s and have been married to someone of the opposite gender or even living as a different gender for decades. There's no right or wrong way to come out. There's no right or wrong words to use. And there's no right or wrong time. So this definitely isn't a guide to coming out. What it is, is a collection of stories from people who have been there and done it. And believe me, no story is the same. Some of these stories will break your heart. Some will fill your heart with wonder and joy. And some will make you cry with laughter. It's raw. It's emotional. It's funny. It's real. It's just a small part of being human. It's coming out stories. Please subscribe to Coming Out Stories wherever you get your podcasts from. The very first episodes are on their way soon. When I did tell her, I didn't really know what to say, and so I just said to her, like, what would you say if I said I wanted to be a boy? The type of things that I hear are, I understand what it's about. Yeah, no, I understand bisexual. You just really love sex. And I'm like, probably no more than you. told my dad and all he said was right okay well just you let me know if anybody starts with you or starts any trouble because i'll go see him